Amen. If you'll remain standing at this time, if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 16 with me. Uh, we're going to stand for one more moment in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And then uh, we're going to dive into this text together. This is my favorite psalm in the Bible, so you better believe I am pumped up this morning. So Psalm 23 has nothing on this, okay? So Psalm 16, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen for you. This is King David during his life journey. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. May God bless the reading of this word. You may be seated at this time. Well, I want to welcome you to White Oak this morning. I love you guys. You look beautiful. It is the perfect day. I like that. Yeah, I like that. It's a perfect day for a lunch together here. Um, I'm excited about what God's going to do in my life even as I preach this sermon. I hope you're excited as well. Uh, let's put the cynicism aside. Let's put the past aside. Um, and let's dive into what God wants to do today. Does that sound good? Uh, today is our, our last sermon in the book of Psalms. Man, summer flies by, doesn't it? Isn't that crazy? This is our last summer in the Psalms sermon. I feel like we just kicked it off two weeks ago. It was actually eight weeks ago. But this is our last one. And so uh, since I get to basically make the preaching calendar, I decided I want to finish with my favorite psalm. And so um, we're going to do that this morning. Uh, but as I preach this psalm this morning, I, I just really want you to know that what I'm preaching means everything to me. I don't mean it's my favorite psalm simply because um, I think it's really pretty and really beautiful, though I think it is that. I say it's my favorite psalm in the Bible because I don't think any psalm has shifted my thinking in my heart more than this psalm. Uh, when I began to apply the words in this psalm and, and form my worldview around what David says here and the beauty that God has constructed in Psalm 16, this psalm has literally changed my life and my outlook on everything. And this psalm has literally made me happier and more joy-filled in the life that God has given me. And so I'm believing this morning that God is going to do that in your life. This one is personal for me. I've, I've tasted what these words can do, especially the last three verses that we're going to share together today. But as you can tell, 
Psalm 16, and, and most commentators agree, it's a psalm about joy, happiness, and satisfaction. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. This is a psalm that's about good things. It's about happiness. It's about being in God's presence and finding the benefits and the blessings that come with living in God's presence. And we're going over this psalm because many psalms are about this, okay? So last week, Justin preached a psalm on Psalm 88, preached a a great sermon, uh, and it was more of a darker, depressing psalm. And the reason why we went through that is because a lot of psalms in the Bible, more than we often think, are like that. There's a lot of psalms where the psalmist is going through tough times and kind of in despair, and so we wanted to, to read through one of those. But in the same way, a lot of psalms are about like this ecstatic happiness and joy in life. Like you read Psalm 150, you read Psalm 1, you read Psalm 16, there's just like this happiness and this joy that the psalmist has, right, that just seems almost otherworldly in a sense. And yet here's the problem, okay? And this is where my journey in Psalm 16 began, is we read these verses that says, um, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Praise the Lord. My whole being rejoices. We read verses like this in the Bible, and yet the problem is, oftentimes if you're anything like me, you read the Bible and you don't feel anything like that, right? Right? You ever been like reading the Bible and, and like you're reading these promises and you're like, I'm reading it and I understand it in my, in my mind, but my heart doesn't feel it. Raise your hand if you've ever been like that. Like you're reading like the verses in the Bible, like, man, I wish I was like Peter or Paul or whoever. I wish I was like King David. Man, I wish I really felt this way. I like this. I see it. I acknowledge it. But man, like I just don't feel like this in the majority of my life. And I think what we begin to look at in Psalm 16, and I think what kind of begins to make it real for us, is when you look at the life of King David, as he's writing these words and he has this utter happiness and joy, it's not because, and this is what we always say, it's not because David's life is that much better than yours. In fact, I would say, and maybe you've had a real hard life, I'm sure you have, I honestly think David's life was probably a lot harder and more complicated than your life and my life. And David, just like you and me, was a human created in God's image. He had issues. He had struggles. If you've ever read the Bible, you know King David was a moral train wreck, right? He was an utter moral train wreck, right? He, he wasn't the really good choir boy who never made a mistake and, you know, had, had all the scripture memorized and, and always said all the right stuff. That wasn't David, right? He's just like us. And yet, in the Psalms, we find this incredible happiness and joy, that King David seems to possess. And the reality is this in life. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody. If there's one thing that kind of unites all of us is we want to be happy. We want to be satisfied in life. We want to enjoy the life that we've been given. We want happiness, right? And let me tell you something we often do in the church, and I've, I've been guilty of this like for so many years, and I remember when I studied this in, in college, it was, it was really eye-opening for me. Um, and, and you've probably heard this, you've probably said it, I think we've all said it at one point in our life, uh, especially if you, if you grew up in the church. But in the, in the Christian life, we make this distinction between happiness and joy, right? And we, we kind of think happiness is a bad thing. You shouldn't want to be happy, right? And that joy is like this spiritual God thing, right? So I don't want happiness. I want joy. We'll say things like that, right? It's not about happiness. It's, not, it's about joy, right? And I've even honestly probably heard sermons preached on that topic, right? And yet, like in the original language of the Old Testament that it was written in, essentially the word blessing, happiness, and joy, those words are basically used interchangeably. 
It's okay to want to be happy. It's okay to pursue happiness in your life and to not want to be sad all the time. But the reality is we have to pursue these things in God to find the true happiness that we want. If you want to read a book about that, I highly recommend a book called Happiness by Randy Alcorn. He's a scholar and a Christian author. And the whole book is basically how he's kind of breaking down this division between these words that that we have. But all those words, whether it's blessing or happiness or joy, are all put together to say we want to be satisfied in our existence. We want to be optimistic. We want to like where we're at. We want to be enjoying the life that we've been given. And yet the problem is depression statistics are through the roof. I don't need to quote anything. Everyone goes through sadness, tough times. The majority of time, I think we don't feel, even as Christians, the way that our theological beliefs should make us feel. A lot of times we have these thoughts in our head of what's real, but in our hearts we don't feel these things. We have this confidence, and yet one flat tire will ruin our day. One bad conversation, one bad circumstance ruins everything for us. And yet what I think David shows us here, and I think also Paul shows us this in the New Testament, is that he has found the secret to happiness in life. The life that you were created to to live, the the happiness meter that God gave you, this desire that you have, which is a good thing when placed in the right places. David connects two things that I'm telling you, we often don't connect, but they mean everything. And what David connects in Psalm 16, what he blends together is two ideas. And those two ideas are happiness, joy, and satisfaction in life with dependence on God. And when I say dependence on God, I mean like utter dependence on God. Not just like this idea in the back of your head that, yeah, I I trust God. I mean like literally you're standing on the creation that is God. You believe your oxygen is literally from God himself. And what I want you to know this morning as we go hard after the joy and happiness that David has in Psalm 16 is that it says we find happiness to the extent that we depend on God, that we find happiness, that we find joy, that we find satisfaction to the ability that we have to trust in God and depend on him in our life. That's a tweetable phrase right there, right? We find happiness to the extent that we depend on God. You can give that credit to King David. He's the one who came up with that, not me. And yet what we have to do this morning to, to get to that place to get to where we want to be, to begin to to change the habits in our heart, to become people who are happy in the Lord, who are glad in Him, is we have to begin to identify what's the main difference between King David and us, right? If he's a human just like us, if he's got issues just like us, what's the difference between his outlook and our outlook that leads him to this joy in God the Father? And I think that main thing as we start off this morning is dependence on God. And when I say dependence on God, I'm almost afraid to say that because it can become such a common phrase to us. But may I employ the word utter in front of the word dependence, utter dependence on God to really begin to get my point across. David has an utter dependence on God for everything in Psalm 16. Look at verse 1 in Psalm 16. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. 
verse 2, he dives even deeper. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I, I have literally, God, no good apart from you. Look at verse 4. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The God of money, the God of sex, the God of fame, the God of a perfect family, even these good things that can become gods in our life. I've been watching a lot of like Dave Ramsey, and I love Dave Ramsey, but even like the God of being debt-free, it's good to be debt-free, right? But all of life is not being about debt-free, right? It's really good. I'm a huge Dave Ramsey guy. I don't even get you wrong. I'm, I'm all about financial peace, you know, I really am. I mean, I mean, even in a weird way, I think even to the extent that we are being obedient to God, like, like even our own, we, we find um, our, our self-worth and our own actions and our own deeds, and when we sin, it destroys us because we find all of our confidence in the things that we do and not the work that Christ has done. He says in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, my, my whole being rejoices. Verse 10, For you... Talking to God, will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David is utterly God-centered. His thinking is God-saturated. He has everything because he has God. And he is literally living in the presence of God. He views God as essential. I've shared with you, many, many of you, and I posted online that, that this weekend was a huge uh, rite of passage for me personally. Um, and the reason for that was because it was the first time when I got to take care of the baby for the weekend all by myself, you know. Um, and so I have a three-month-old daughter, and it's weird because I've been taking care of her, you know, and I've been helping. I've been like Housey's little helper, you know, when it comes to the baby and stuff, you know. And, um, and I, I, you know, Halsey's gone to the store, and I've watched the baby by myself with the house for a little bit. But it, it's crazy how, how, I guess since Halsey just had the baby, she's always around it. So when I'm there, Halsey's always there. But Halsey was going out of town, right? And so she was going out of town, and I was the only one who could watch the baby. And probably starting on Thursday of this past week, I began to get a little bit nervous, Right? Because I began to feel the weight of what was coming my way. Like if something went wrong, I was supposed to be the responsible adult that figured it out, that was calm, cool, and collected. And like I said, I don't, I'm, I, my learning curve when it comes to babies has just been drastic because I knew nothing, right? Um, I've shared with you, I, I didn't know babies didn't come out of the womb crawling. I thought they just crawled. I, literally, I thought that. Like I thought maybe in a week or two. They're like, no, that didn't happen for a while, you know. So, so I know nothing, right, about babies. And I'm literally taking care of this, this beautiful little daughter. And then I love her so much, so it makes it so much more, like, pressure-filled, right? So Halsey goes out of town, and I was so naive. I was like, I'm going to get so much done, right? Because, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be st- – <laughs> that's, like, the funniest part about it. So, like, I, I'm, like I'm going to be at the house, and I, I, I'm kind of stuck at the house, so I can't go anywhere. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, like, finish up my sermon. I'm going to get ahead on some work. I'm going to pay some bills, and I'm going to clean the house and surprise Halsey when she gets back with a clean house, you know. And, and so I thought, because I was stuck at the house with the baby, I was going to have time to do those things. And, like, the, the baby, it's just not. It's like, it's like poop. It's like eat. It's like, you know, it's like, what, what, now, what do you want now? You know, it's like, oh, she wants to play. She wants to look at herself in the mirror. She wants to practice standing up. She wants to sleep. Oh, the pacifier fell out of her. She can't even put the pacifier back in her own mouth. 
If, if, even to use the pacifier, she needs my hand to place the pacifier in her mouth. And if it falls out of her mouth, she's like, eh, you know, and I'm like, I got to put it, I got to put it, I, she can't do anything. And the reason why I got absolutely none of those things done while I was watching her was because I was like utterly essential in her life. And, and this is a mind-blowing concept, I think, for a new parent. Like, I can't just forget to feed her for a couple of days. I can't, oh, I made a mistake, you know. Like, I, I, I just, I can't. Because if I don't feed her, she literally doesn't eat. If I don't change her, her diaper never gets changed. If I don't put the pacifier in her mouth, she has no pacifier. If I don't provide a safe environment for her, she's unsafe. If I don't take her out of the car into where I'm going, nobody does that. She can literally do nothing for herself. And all of us are born into this world utterly dependent. And my question to you this morning is, do you see God as essential in your life? I mean like essential, as in like, like, like is God really as important to you as oxygen is to you? The way that you feel about oxygen, is that the way you feel about God's presence in your life? We, we love God and we, we pray to him and we, we like him and we're trying to follow him and we're trying to be like Christ and all these kinds of things. And yet I think what David has that we often don't is he has this utter dependence on God for everything that he talks about. When it comes to God's presence in your life and, and your relationship with him, do you have to have him? Are you desperate for him? Or does God become like so many things in our life, kind of optional, kind of important? If I have time. You see, David sees God as essential. And what I'm trying to do in this moment is, is change the way that you see where happiness comes from. It comes from the presence of God. It comes from his activity in your life. It, it comes from the voice that he speaks into your heart when he calls you to be a part of his kingdom in this world. Like this is where your joy comes from. The joy that God created you to desire that we often seek in so many different places. It literally comes when we are dependent upon God because we need him. Therefore we experience him. Therefore we experience the fullness of life because it is only in God. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, O God. And yet real quick, there's just two things that distract us from this. There's two things that distract us from dependence. The first one is sin. I think sin is just essentially thinking, I don't need God. I can do it on my own. I don't need his moral order. I can find more happiness elsewhere doing other things than what God has laid out for my life. Sin being natural and willing rebellion against God's order and plan for our life. But the second thing I think that distracts us from dependence other than just sin is we begin to depend upon the blessings that he's given us instead of the blessing giver. I, I, I fall to this so often. Good things like family and our work, hobbies, passions, relationships. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and they're like, you know, I, I, it was a good thing and it became a God thing in my life. 
and we, we wander from dependence on God, therefore wandering away from happiness and joy and blessing because we wandered towards a blessing and now we have this thing that we're like begging to make us happy and it's just a blessing. It's just something created from God. We should enjoy humans and relationships, but they were created by God just the way that, that you and I were, right? The trees that we enjoy, the, the nature that we enjoy, the, the beautiful automobiles that we enjoy, and, and the houses that we're proud of, and the things that we do, and the things like music, all these things find their origins in God himself, and yet we get distracted and we go off to depending on these things. I, I've often used the illustration that, like, imagine somebody made you your absolutely favorite cake, okay? And I think cake is like one of the hardest things to mess up, by the way. So like every cake I've ever had has been pretty good, right? Especially now with like all the box cakes and stuff, right? Like you, you should be able to make a good cake no matter who you are, right? But imagine someone made your favorite cake. I mean, it was like the, the perfect icing you like or my, my cream cheese people out, you know? Um, he, or, or maybe the, the favorite flavor you like, whether it's vanilla or chocolate or straw. I mean, oh, man, I'm getting hungry right now. I've got that, that lunch. I hope some of y'all brought some cake after for the Sunday lunch, you know. But, I mean, it's like the right, and even the right level of, like, moistness in the cake. You know moistness is like, is like, the, is like the unsaid thing that makes all the difference. But it's kind of like a good cake that's moist with your favorite. Maybe you like milk with it or whatever. I mean, they may do your favorite cake, obviously, because they love you and they care about you. They want you to be happy. And they give you this cake and they present it to you. And you take a bite of that cake. And, of course, it's the best thing that you've ever tasted. And then your idiotic response is, oh, cake, I love you. Oh, cake, you're so good. Oh, cake, thank you. My happiness, there is fullness of joy in this cake and, and blessings forevermore in this cake. Don't worship cake. Don't worship your blessings. Don't depend on your blessings. You see, God is the prize. God is not a means to an end in your life. King David in Psalm 16 isn't saying, God, I love you because you give me these things. He doesn't say, I'm I'm happy because my circumstances have been perfect, because as I said, his life was a train wreck, morally and circumstantially. He doesn't say, God, I I love you because every time I ask you for something, you give it to me. He didn't say, God, I I love you because, um, you know, you've given me the perfect relationship. He says, God, in your presence is fullness of joy. He is utterly dependent upon God. And so the call of Psalm 16 in our lives is to utterly depend on him for everything, to begin to see him in our day-to-day life as essential, as in we have to have him. And yet here's the prize in verses 9 through 11, right? This is probably the most well-known part of Psalm 16. Verse 9, he says, therefore, right? There's that word, therefore, meaning I'm going to tell you what happens, right? So 1 through 8 is just this like utter dependence on God for every single thing. He's not running after stuff. He's running after God. But then what happens when he does that is he says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And then here's my favorite verse, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Every human wants happiness. 
Every human doesn't just want happiness. You want this joy that extends for all eternity. You want things to work out. You want things to go well. And the result of dependence on God is both present and eternal happiness. Maybe not all the circumstances work out perfectly, but you love God and you are increasingly like David, becoming a person after God's own heart. And verse 11, I mean, literally David gives, uh, says that God provides everything every human wants. He says, he, you, you make known to me the path of life. You show me how to do life. Everybody wants the end. Everyone wants to know how to do life. Number two, he says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Everybody wants fullness of joy. Last one, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I don't just want pleasures. I don't just want happiness. I want it to extend eternally. And David says that all those things come when we seek first the kingdom of God. When we want God's presence even more than we want his blessings. When we want to pray to him more than we want to receive from him. When we are devouring his word. When we're conscious of what he's doing with us every place that we go. When we want his presence, it is in those places that we begin to find the happiness that we so long for. Uh, last summer, I went on a vacation, and um, um, this summer has actually been really good. I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a good relaxing season. But last summer was like one of those summers, like you just need a, a vacation. You know, you've been there like, I need a summer vacation this summer, right? Last summer was one of those summers for me. And uh, I went to like one of my favorite places in the world, Destin, Florida. And it was crazy because I was literally in one of my favorite places in the world, Destin, Florida, like perfect blue water, white sand beaches, I mean, I, I love summer, so I love the heat. I mean, the perfect environment, right? It was beautiful. Like I so said, we got to see dolphins. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was like the trip of a lifetime, right? And I'm with my favorite person, right? My wife, Halsey. And so I've got like a week with my favorite person in like one of my favorite places in my favorite time of the year, summer. And I go on this trip and like I just wasn't relaxed. I wasn't rest. Like I was, I was like stressed out. For some reason. And, and it wasn't like one in particular thing. I was just stressed out, you know. And then on vacation, you get extra frustrated because you're stressed that you're stressed because you go on vacation to not be stressed, right? But then you're stressed and now I'm paying to be stressed somewhere else, you know. It's frustrating. I told Halsey this. I was like, I don't know what it is. It's just like I have a hard time unwinding or something, you know. And it was probably the second or third morning we were there. And I was, uh, I was in the Bible in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, I, I want you to turn there if you have your Bibles. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Um, and also, I, I think I have it. Yeah, there it is. I opened this one morning, and I, I began to, uh, to read it. And I'd read this all my life. You, know, you memorize it in Awanas growing up and stuff. And, you know, it's a, it's a famous kids' church verse, as it should be. And yet it, it hit me in a whole new way. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And it was one of those passages I'm like, I got to memorize this right now, right? So I memorized it. I, I, I need this, right? And I tried something that someone had recommended to me a, a while back where they said, you know, whenever you struggle with something, memorize a scripture that, that immediately fights against it 
And anytime when that thing comes to your mind, or so for me, like stress or worry, whatever, every time that comes to your mind, literally repeat this verse in your head. In fact, say it out loud if you have to. Be the weird person quoting scripture out loud if you have to. Whatever you have to do. And I said, okay, God, this is what I'm going to do. Today, I want to enjoy my day. I'm here on vacation. I'm supposed to be relaxed. I'm supposed to be happy and enjoying what, you, what, what you've provided for me. So every time I feel that, my mind is going to immediately go back to this. And I'm going to commit to believing, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own. Like, I'm, I'm going to commit to this, right? And I kid you not, it was one of the moments I'll never forget. That day, I went from stressed to perfect happiness. Because every time I worried, I was like, you know what? God's got it. You know, if he hadn't seen fit to fix this or, 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 or reorient this, you know what? He knows best. And it's amazing what happens when you begin to actually have faith in your life. And not just like a faith to go along, to get along, but like a literal faith. Like, I really trust God with my life. I really trust what he's doing. I really trust that he's going to work it out. And I have no strength to change whatever I'm going through. So God, I'm going to give this to you and then I'm done with it. And I'm going to trust that it's best for me because you, you loved me even to death on a cross. If you'll die for me, then you'll guide me in my life. And utterly, immediately, in one single day, I, I began to be happy. I began to not worry about things anymore because I was utterly dependent upon God. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something that, that seems counterintuitive to us. He begins the most famous, probably, message he ever gave. And Jesus says, blessed, which could also mean happy. But it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What does that mean? How, why are the mourn those who are comforted? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And the reason Jesus says all those things is he says, Blessed are those who are not under the illusion that this world is enough. Blessed are the needy. For they are the ones who will find God. Blessed are those who are open to depending solely on God and not on their own efforts, their own works, the circumstances. Blessed are those who are open, for it is those who will find the blessings of God. Blessed are those who are weak and know they can't do it on their own. This is the gospel. Blessed are those people. Why? Because it is this person who will be led to look upon the wonderful, satisfying, comforting, beautiful face of God revealed to all humanity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is that person who will see the wonderful, satisfying, comforting, beautiful face of God because they are open and they are in need and they're not satisfied with this world. 
I guess another way to put it is blessed are those in life who have thrown their hands up in the air and they're like, I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't write it. I can't find happiness in all this stuff. Blessed are those people because they're the ones who are going to find God. This is why before we can have the faith, we must have repentance. We have to admit where we're at. So for those of you this morning, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing in life. My hands are up in the air. Blessed are you. If you feel like you can't do it, if you feel like you're not enough, if you feel like it's not working out, if you feel like you've tried everything and you failed, if you feel like I'm done with it, hands up in the air, whatever, you're closer than you think. You're a lot closer than you think. And it is those people who will find the utter satis- utterly satisfying presence of God in their life. This is why Jesus always said, I, I, I didn't come for the wise. I came for those who were childlike. I didn't come for the arrogant people who think they can explain everything. I came for people who are humble and who are open. As we close this morning, I wanted to share um, a story that I saw this week that really spoke to me in a lot of ways. Um, most of you probably don't listen to the band called of, of Mice and Men. I had a lot of friends that liked them back in the day. It's kind of a, it's a rock group. And I read this article about how their, their front man, their, their lead singer, um, I think within the past month, uh, came to faith in Jesus and was baptized. I've actually got a picture up here of it, I think. Uh, that's the guy in the white shirt. Uh, he's the, uh, the front man. And I wanted to uh, read you as we talk about utterly depending on God for everything and realizing you can't do it on your own and finding satisfaction in Jesus. I wanted to read you literally his statement, his statement of, of kind of what happened in his life and how he spent 28 years running from Jesus. This was his statement that was published this past week. He said, This past Sunday, I was finally baptized. After taking 28 years to realize God's work playing out in my life and that I had, I had to get out of the middle of the road and fully follow him. He continues saying, trying to do things on my own way completely left me stranded. Relying on my own perseverance and strength was not enough, it seemed to be. He continues, he says his grace is in Jesus has been overwhelming and with every obstacle I faced, I'm proud to say my hope through him is what has pushed me to continue on and to keep fighting. He'd also faced a serious illness. He says, through his grace, I am enough. And I hope my life and fight can reflect just that to others. He says, I love the words of Jesus that say the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I love that, that image he gives about in life. Uh, he's like, my own way had left me completely stranded. And I think often in life, the word stranded can sum up where we're at. And we're not happy. And, and we're not experiencing life the way that we know God wants us to have it. And, and we know we're not fully depending on him And yet it's Jesus who says that blessed are those who admit they need God 
who admit that they need Jesus to die on the cross for their sins because they're not good enough to atone for their own wrongdoing. See, the problem is, is it's not just that we can't make up for it. Like, we don't even want God enough. We, we need God to want God. And the beautiful thing about faith and dependence on God is it's not like you have to get it all together and come before me. It's not like, you know, get, get all your ducks in a row and then show up to Jesus and maybe he'll be impressed by you. And maybe then he'll say you're good enough. It's like, no, no, just throw your hands up in the air. Just say, you can't do it. Just repent of your ways and let Jesus become your life. Let him die for your sins. Let him rise again. Receive his life into your life and find the life and happiness and satisfaction that you know you're supposed to have, but it so often seems to elude you. Blessed are those who throw their hands up in the air because it's those who will find Jesus and find both present and eternal happiness. If you're weak this morning, just know you're a lot closer than you think. Let's pray. Jesus, you say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And God, we're in wonder today as we live in this world that that's how this works. That all we have to do is acknowledge our brokenness before you. All we have to admit is that we can't do it on our own. And then you do everything for us. God, I pray for every person in this room. God, I know there's probably stories. See, God atones for all of our, all of our brokenness, right? But there's just so many stories, God, in this room of, of just people who have just tried so many different things. And we always think that maybe this new thing will be it. And yet, God, we know what you're speaking to us today. What you're reminding us of today is that we just simply need to depend on you, place our faith back in you, fully follow you. And we will have even more pleasures in life and eternity than we can even enjoy. I pray that every person in this room would turn their eyes, that they would turn their weary eyes on the refreshing and satisfying face of Jesus Christ this morning. We love you and we trust you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.